You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to Colossians. We're going to start a new series this morning. I'm really excited for us to start a series like next seven or eight weeks going through the book of Colossians. And this will also introduce a theme that God has put on our hearts for this entire school year. If you've hung out around our church a little bit, you'll recognize that we, we lead our church really based on the rhythm of our cities. So our life groups run September through May. Our classes run September through May. And we always prayerfully ask the Lord, what is it that you want us to, what is the banner theme that you, you have for us for a given you know, school year? And that was my prayer for months leading up to, up to this August and, and really had it on my heart to go through the book of Colossians because of things the Lord had been put on my heart. And, and one, and obviously uh, the Lord has kind of taken me through a um, kind of a highlight reel over the last two or three years of things God had been doing in our church, uh, really preparing us and healing some wounds and shoring up our foundation a little bit. Um, a lot of really important things to get us ready. And, and we were in a prayer gathering, a midweek prayer gathering, which happens every Wednesday from noon to one. You can join us anytime you want, or it's on Facebook Live every Wednesday from noon to one. A few weeks back, we were in one of those prayer gatherings, and Pastor Tony and Paige were up front. They were leading worship, and an atmosphere much like, much like this morning. And they were kind of off and on leading some songs, but also just praying, seeking the Lord. And I was in the back pacing Having this conversation with the Lord, like, how do, we, how do we summarize, God, what you're stirring in our hearts in this season, in this moment? You always want to be attuned. You want to live today saying, God, what do you have for me today? And, and as I was praying through that, wrestling, they started singing the chorus that they, they just introduced um, just this morning. We're ready. God, move in us. We're ready. Do what you want. We're ready. We say yes. And as they were singing, singing that, I was like, Yes, that's it, God. We are ready. That is the theme for this year. Holy Spirit just it well welled up in my heart. Holy, Holy Spirit confirmed it in that moment. We're ready. That's right. No more excuses. We're eliminating excuses. No more passivity. No more spectator Christianity. We're jumping in. We're ready. God's been preparing us. God's been setting us up for something. And so I speak this. I'm going to um, sound very repetitive over the next number of weeks and months, trying to convince you that you're ready as an individual for the things that God is calling you to today. You're ready in Christ. We're going to ground ourselves in that through the book of Colossians over the next several weeks. You're ready as an individual. We're also ready as a church. No more excuses. We can't make any more excuses. Hey, we're, we're too small. We don't have enough resources. We don't have the right location. Some people say we don't have a big enough parking lot. Make all these excuses that hold us back. Instead of being captured by the heart of God for a city, for a world that desperately needs him, having faith and love that wells up in us, like overcoming all those excuses, fear and trepidation and pushes forward to be on the front lines of what God wants to do. So we say we're ready. That's gonna be our posture, that we are ready, our declaration. So I thought of this, this illustration that hopefully... Um, makes it come alive to you a little bit. We have a lot of babies being born in our church right now. We love all sorts of kingdom growth, but you know, church growth, but having babies is, is one easy way to make it happen. And um, 
And we've had a whole lot of babies hap- uh, going on right now. And um, three or four have already been born. We've got three or four more left to go this fall. Um, but it brought me back to our first child being born. There's nothing like the first one in your family being born because you just have no paradigm for what to expect. And so that season of pregnancy is such a season of preparation. I feel like that's similar to the season the Lord has had us in the last two or three years, seasons of preparation, getting things ready, preparing, before we can really say we're ready. It's that season of pregnancy. I mean, you're, you're kind of busy about getting the baby's room ready, putting together the crib, buying diapers and wipes, you know, having baby showers, you, you, buy the, the, you buy the car seat. You do all, all those preparations. You read the books, you go to the class. 36, 38 weeks come along in the pregnancy. Hopefully yeah, before 40 weeks. You know, 36, 38 weeks, you, you, you come to this place where you've, you've done everything, you've made the preparations, and really you put your hands forward and you say, we're ready. Now in reality, are you ready? No. <laughs> You're not ready. None of us are truly ready for parenthood. It's like, you know, reading a book about parenting is like teaching someone to swim in a classroom. You can't really learn until you jump in, and parenting is the same. But for, for all extensive purposes and for everything that you can do, you can say, you can put your hands forward and say, we're ready. In those last few days leading up to, to go time, to, to labor, active labor, I mean, you're just in anticipation. You're saying, oh, we're ready. We've done everything. We're We're ready. We're ready, we're ready, we're ready. There's this growing anticipation. Every single day you say, you wake up to you, are like, today could be the day. We're ready. And I feel like that captures the heart of what God, the, the point that God has brought us to as a church. We've done the preparations, we've shored things up, we've financially gotten on track and God has provided in miraculous ways as we've just stewarded what he's given us. We've done the best that we can with the facility that he's given us. We've prayer walked and canvassed our entire community, loved our neighborhood. We simply put our hands forward now and we say, we're ready, Lord. Whatever you want to do, move in us. We say, yes, we're ready. Can we pray that prayer right now before we dive into Colossians chapter 1? Lord, we say that as a church. We're ready. I pray it would penetrate our hearts through your word right now. The word of God coming alive in our hearts, convincing us. Of the, of the reality of your truth, the truth of the gospel, that that would override all the excuses that we come up with, that keep us sidelined, that keep us as spectators, that keep us passive. God, overwhelm us with the truth of your gospel. Moving us forward, God, we say we are ready. In your name, amen. So hopefully you have your Bible. Um, Open up to Colossians chapter one. Here's the background of Colossians. And you can kind of picture this story. The apostle Paul, he appoints this church planter, this leader named Epaphras to kickstart and um, get this church established in the city of Colossa. Colossa, it's a prominent city, but it's not the biggest city uh, in the region, in the Mediterranean. It's not as big as the more prominent city down the road, Laodicea. But Colossus is still an important city, not in its heyday. Years prior, it was a, was a major military center. Now it's more known for, for commerce and still a prominent city in its own right. And so Paul sees this church established from afar, and Epaphras is 
so excited about the work of, of God, the happening in this city, but eventually some within the church, not everyone, but some are being distracted by false teaching. Some being distracted by a form of legalism, pointing people towards the Mosaic law, adding requirements to salvation. Some, some being pointed towards this teaching of some uh, revelation outside of Jesus as though just the knowledge of Jesus, uh, the gospel in Jesus is not enough. They point us to some super revelation outside of Jesus, early form of Gnosticism. These teachings start uh, stirring in the church of Coloss, uh, Colossa. And so Epaphras reaches out to Paul. You can kind of picture him reaching out, this younger minister reaching out to the apostolic leader, Paul. Hey, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your apostolic authority. And so Paul pens this letter, and it's, it's meant for the church of Colossa, but it's also meant to be passed on to Laodicea. So you'll recognize that Paul references Laodicea a couple times as well. So let's read this, the first 14 verses, Colossians chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossa, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We'll stop there for this week. Our main idea for this morning that I want us to be captured by in the gospel, the heart of the gospel that Paul points us to right out of the gate, is that Christ makes us ready for today. He is enough. Christ is enough. And if there's one summary of the entire book of Colossians, it's those three words, that Christ is enough. He's trying to point these people who are distracted by by something outside of Christ not being enough. They, they say, oh, we need to add requirements to salvation. It can't be that simple. So they add requirements from the, the Mosaic law or those that seem they, they need to seek out some ulterior revelation outside of the revealed word of God uh, confirmed by, by the church and the, the authority of the, the global church. They look for revelation outside of Jesus. The summary of this book is Christ is enough, and I want us to point specifically to how God is enough for today. Christ readies us, makes us ready for today. In verse 5, he says that we have this hope laid up for us in heaven. And oftentimes, we think of the hope that we have in heaven to be some future thing that allows us to maybe just uh, survive this world with passivity. We kind of hunker down in our bunkers and hope cross our fingers that we can make it to that day, that we, we make it to heaven. But the way he talks about the hope that we have laid up for us in heaven, 
actually is expressed in the here and the now and the today. He says you live a life of love and of faith because of the hope that you have laid up for you in heaven. Heaven is an eternal reality that compels us to live differently today with faith and love. So we should be the most hope-filled people on the planet, which is hard to do. It's hard to do in this day and age to be hope-filled. But we have a hope, an eternal hope of a place that God has established. He's built for you as sons and daughters. And so we don't just lock ourselves in this bunker, in this building, isolated from the world around us, saying the world is crashing around us, so we hope we just survive and make it to heaven. But instead, we're compelled to make the most of our life today because we have a hope laid up for us in heaven. We have this inheritance in heaven. We should be the most hope-filled people on the planet. My wife was recently reading a book, and she was telling me about how the, the author was talking about a scenario in a cafe. He overheard these older gentlemen talking about the good old days when they, when they were growing up in the 60s and 70s and they could roam around their neighborhood without their doors locked and no, parent, no parental supervision. You guys remember those days? Oh, they're like, man, the, the world is just going down in the tubes and it's so dangerous today. They said, the end, we won't walk to the end of our street without locking our doors first. The world is so dangerous because of all the, the headlines that we see we're inundated by, by, by the headlines constantly, 24-7 how dangerous it is. The author actually goes on to talk about how today, statistically, the world has never been a safer place. But we're inundated by, by media and headlines that convince us that you gotta watch your, watch your back and everyone's gonna be abducted or, or, um, or mugged. Someone's gonna break into your house. We all live in this constant fear. Actually, recently, uh, two weeks back, the Washington Post published an article saying the U.S., is, there's never been a safer place for our kids in the U.S. than in this moment in history. And they went through every statistical category from a homicide, abductions, obviously disease and medical advancements would take care of that category, but disease uh, and so on and so forth. Every single category has, has been uh, astronomically lowered statistically the probabilities across the board. But it's hard to even believe that uh, in that, in the truth of the situation now, because we're inundated by the headlines of media constantly. You know, that, that all aside, that's all like a, a tangent, a side note. Like our narrative, the narrative that, that compels us, that motivates us, drives us, the hope of our salvation and our living the most today is the hope that we have laid up for us in heaven. We should be the most hope-filled people on the planet. And he says a phrase here in the very next verse that I hope captures your imagination. This gospel across the entire world, it's bearing fruit and it's increasing as it also does amongst you. That's the nature of the gospel, bearing fruit and increasing. So I don't know what kind of mindset you have regarding the gospel, regarding the, regarding the kingdom of God, a scarcity a mindset, a poverty mentality, that we're just kind of called to mere survival as Christians, as, as people of the kingdom of God. The paradigm, the vision that Paul conveys to the Colossians is one where the gospel is ever increasing and ever bearing fruit. It keeps him up at night. He can be locked up in a jail cell and he's like, he's compelled, he's, he's captivated, his imagination can't stop thinking about the nature of the gospel and how it's ever increasing and how he's bearing fruit. 
We don't have any excuses. Yeah, we live in Ames, Iowa. We live in middle America. We live in um, maybe obscurity, you think. We have no excuses. You know, the, the nations come to us. Josh was just pointing us to that. I want to ask you something. Can I, can I ask you to commit this next week to praying for our college students? Can you guys commit to that, a few of you? See a few hands, awesome. Seriously, commit to praying for the opportunity that we have because we don't have excuses. The nations are coming to us, over 120 nations colliding in this city, all 99 counties, rep, 99 counties of Iowa represented in this city and we have no excuse to sit on the sidelines, no excuse to play it safe, no excuse to be passive. If our vision of the gospel is a gospel that's ever increasing, always bearing fruit, we should say, okay, we want to be on the front lines. We want to be moving forward. We want to see that because he says that's, that's what, how he sees the Colossians, as it is among you. So if our vision is of a gospel that's ever bearing fruit, always increasing, we should say that should be the descriptor of us as well. Ever increasing, always bearing fruit in our city. And obviously, Kyle has always been a huge part of our church, especially over the last nine years. You know, beyond that, our heart is burning lately for the opportunity that we have as a church in world missions globally. Last week as we traveled, got to connect with old friends, some that are serving in Ethiopia, um, an urban center, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, church planning there uh, amongst you know, just a very difficult context. But as I hear the testimonies, this is the descriptor. The gospel is ever increasing and always bearing fruit. I got to connect with other friends that are, that are amongst uh, the Iranian people. Which is, the church in Iran is the, the fastest growing church right now in the world. The gospel there is ever increasing and always bearing fruit. They have a lot more excuses than we have. But the gospel is ever increasing and always bearing fruit. And we have this opportunity to before, before us in global missions. Every single person. There's no spectators Nobody's on the sidelines in global missions. Everybody pray, gives, goes. And I pray in 2019 that more so, more than ever before as a church, we'd pray more for missions, that we wouldn't see it as some distant thing that we're not a part of, but we would feel like we're actually a part of this great commission, like global move of the kingdom of God across, across the planet. We'd feel a part of it in the place of prayer. So we'd pray more, we'd give more, and we'd go more. We'd be sending more people than ever before from our church to the mission field, to the front lines. Pray, give, go. We're gonna pray more, give more, go more than ever before, 2019, 2020, this school year. So that's his vision of the gospel, bearing fruit, increasing constantly. And that's the descriptor of the Colossians as well. And that leads him then into this like quintessential Paul prayer here. It's a, a similar prayer that he prays at the beginning of uh, Romans chapter one, 1 Corinthians chapter one, um, Ephesians chapter one, Philippians chapter one. He always starts, or in many of his letters, he starts in this way, this, this bold apostolic prayer birthed in the gospel, grounded in the gospel. He's, he's compelled to pray in faith over the people of God in this way. And this is the prayer. They, they, they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He doesn't pray, God, just give them a little bit more or just give them enough to survive. He says, Lord, fill them up with the knowledge of your will. Fill them to capacity. He's not saying that we will fully know the will of God completely as infinite God of the universe. 
But I can tell you, it takes zero effort from God, an infinite being, to fill finite beings. He's not actually expending anything because he's infinite. And so in our finiteness, he can fill us with the knowledge of his will. He can reveal enough for us today to be filled fully, to be made ready in Christ in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So there's no, no excuses. Excuses are not compatible with the gospel. The way Jesus sees you and the reason he gave his life for you is to you, for, for you to actually walk differently, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's the nature of the gospel. It raises the bar really high. So we don't, we don't live a certain way to earn his favor, to earn his salvation, but it's because we've, we've uh, received his grace, received his salvation, that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So we live today ready. No more excuses. No more living in the past. No more putting off for the future what you can do today. We live today ready in Christ. Are you guys tracking with me? That's how we live today. The past is important. The future is important. But it's all really hinging on what we do today. So let us live ready in Christ today. And then he goes, he just goes off in prayer. And he gives these descriptors of a life ready in Christ. In the present tense, not past tense, not future tense, of this is what you can be someday as you, you know, reach a certain status in Christ. This is the, the present prayer over the believers in Colossians. You can recognize it by the, the, the present progressive tense that you see throughout um, from verses 10 on. So here there are, there's four of them. We are ready in Christ because we are bearing fruit in every good work. That's how we live ready in Christ, by doing good work today. You can do good today. You don't have to put it off till tomorrow. Tomorrow. I know we, we do that. It's easy to live in the perpetual future. We know what's right to do. We know how to treat those around us. We know how to, to live a life of servanthood and to live a life sacrificially for others around us. But oftentimes we put it off for tomorrow because today we just don't feel like it. But we're bearing fruit and doing good works today. So as children of God who've encountered a good God, we do good works and not the other way around. We don't do good to earn his favor, but instead we've encountered something so good that the, the expression of that becomes good works, and that's how we bear fruit. And Paul, you know, in his just holistic understanding of the kingdom of God, he could be very easily referring to the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. So we do those things, we live, we live out those attributes of the kingdom of God today. Don't put it off till tomorrow. We live ready in Christ today. And every time we do that, we're, we're expressing to the Lord, we're ready, God. We're ready. We're ready. So we're going to live in joy today. We're going to live in love today. We're going to live in kindness, in gentleness today. No more excuses. Maybe you can call each other out. Seriously. Let's live it out today. Be ready in Christ today. Second, the second present progressive attribute of living ready in Christ is increasing in the knowledge of God. Christianity should never be boring. 
increasing in the knowledge of God. And he's specifically speaking these to a people who are already influenced by, by early forms of Gnosticism. This idea that there's some higher knowledge. I mean, that's what you know, modern day um, Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses would be in that category of, of Gnostics. People who, who believe that there's some outside revelation from the, the confirmed word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. The clear revelation. So they need some higher revelation, some different other revelation. He's specifically speaking to them, but yet he's bold enough to say, you can increase in the knowledge of God in Christ. So you're captivated, you're mesmerized by the inexhaustible, unending beauty, majesty of Jesus Christ. Every single day. It never gets old. So if we're bored in our Christian walk, it's not on God's side of the equation. The problem's not on God's side of the equation. It's because we're boring. Let's be honest. Look ourselves in the mirror. If our Christianity is boring, there's a problem. My son, this summer, for the very first time, he's nine years old, this summer is reading through the New Testament for himself, and he's getting towards the end of the New Testament to 1 Peter, and so all summer long, he's been coming to me with questions. And I just love watching him grow in his faith and grow in the things of God. You know, and many of the letters of Paul are hard for a nine-year-old to grapple with. And I said, just wait for a revelation, buddy. So, <laughs> but, he's, but he's just kind of wading through it. And I think it's easy, but there's a lie that we can believe as followers of Jesus. That it's in those seasons of life when you're a new believer, you're young in your faith, that it's easy to hunger for the word of God. That, that we, can, we can ask these questions and wrestle through, through things and, and eat up every single word just because we're, we're young and ignorant and we don't know anything. But can I tell you, that's a lie of the enemy. The word of God is, is unending, it's inexhaustible, and you can live every single day ready in Christ by increasing in the knowledge of God right through his word, by adoring him and sitting at his feet and saying, God, teach me. I want to know you more today. So one end of the spectrum, I see my son, my nine-year-old son, sitting at the feet of Jesus, just beginning to kind of stick his toe into the vast ocean of God's word. At the other end of the spectrum, I was reminded of a missionary couple I lived with in Rwanda for a summer. Her name was Virginia, the wife, her name was Virginia. Every single morning, she'd blare her hymns, this group named Sela, she'd blare her hymns through the house. It was all ceramic tile, so it echoed throughout the entire house. She'd blare her hymns, and then she'd be up at the table. She'd be pouring over scripture. And so a number of times up at the breakfast table, then I'd see her Bible open still at the table, and she'd be still mulling about in the kitchen and singing and stuff. And her, literally her Bible, it doesn't matter the book of the Bible, the chapter could be Ezekiel, really obscure Obadiah. It is covered with underlines, notes, prayers, comments from top to bottom, left to right, from her decades of pouring over the word of God. Decades and decades of increasing in the knowledge of God, and it never gets old. So if Christianity is boring, the problem's on our side. So we can live ready today with that posture. I said that in the wedding yesterday, and Nicole's, our children's ministry director, got married yesterday. I said that. We can come to the word of God with this promise that we're not going to walk away empty-handed. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Third is this that you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Not past tense, not future tense, but today, 
you can be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. He is sufficient for today. Doesn't matter the size of the giant you're facing, the size of the mountain you're facing today. He is your strength. And I'll just as like a, not a proof text, but one of the many references or pictures or analogies scripturally of how Christ is your strength, I point to Psalm chapter 59, David himself. And if he can find his strength in Christ in this moment of desperation, we have no excuse. The context of Psalm 59 is literally life and death. He's being chased by Saul. Saul's men are pounding on the door of his house to kill him. So, I mean, if you're being chased constantly, someone trying to kill you, please come and talk to me. We want to get you, we want to find help for you. But that's the context of this. And yet in the midst of life and death, in the midst of being hounded, this is his prayer. Verses 16 and 17. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength. I will sing praises to you, for you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. He actually just calls God outright. He just calls God his strength. That's why it's capital S. It's this um, supplication of divinity is like the the grammatical scholarly phrase to, to actually call out to God in that descriptor. Oh, strength. That's all he, that's, all, that's the name he's giving God. kids, or sorry, um, yeah, a mother and two kids behind, and it's been excruciating, but even in the midst of, like, such dire, horrific circumstances, I've pushed myself to remember that the individuals involved with this, it's possible for them to find their strength in Christ, that Christ is enough for today. It doesn't matter what's ripped from your life, what horrific things you walk through, Christ is your strength today. And Paul spoke this boldly, no hesitation, over a people without even understanding all of the context represented in this congregation, which I guarantee you, there was pain and suffering and difficulties in this congregation in Colossae. And yet Paul said, may you be strengthened with all power and glorious might. And fourthly is this, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you. You can give thanks to Jesus today. You have something to be thankful for because he has qualified you. You have an inheritance in the saints. Maybe you don't think of yourself as a saint, but in Christ, you are a saint. It's Christ who qualifies you as a saint and it's, and it's in that qualifying sainthood that you have an inheritance. And so every single day you wake up and you have an opportunity to say thanks to Jesus. And we give thanks. We live a life of gratitude. That's how we live today, ready in Christ by giving thanks to him. It just postures us in the right, in the right place. We understand our, our position in this kingdom, that it's all because of him. It's because of him. I had a mentor a few years back that taught me some things about prayer. He allowed me to pray with him from time to time and there's one time he said, you know, Drew, this time when we pray, let's not say anything else to God except 
thank, you know, thank him for certain things. Let's not move on from, from thanking him. Let's just stay in that place of thanking him for one thing after another. And I've actually incorporated that, incorporated that into my, my daily prayer times because it was, it was just so centering on the gospel for me. So I encourage you to do that from time to time. Just force yourself not to move on to the, the requests, the pressing needs, you know, the things that, that oftentimes we desire and should bring to prayer, but just start in that place of thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus, for breath in my lungs today. Thank you for the opportunities you've surrounded me with. Thank you for my, my spouse. I mean, you just go down the list of all the things that God has given you. Thank you, Jesus. And you don't move on. It's powerful. But that posture really positions us or it grounds us in our readiness in Christ. When we say this theme for the year and even what we, we glean from the book of Colossians is that posture of we are ready, that can be a scary thing to actually vocalize to the Lord because there, there is a responsibility then to live differently today. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. I want us to respond to Jesus. And so I don't know where you're at. I remember a friend, a really good friend a few years back, she was scared to surrender to the Lord with that level, like that, with that magnitude, because she was scared as to you know, what God would ask her to do, some public place or some crazy thing. And honestly, I can't guarantee you that God's not gonna call you to do something crazy. Like, it's like, Stepping into parenthood, you just don't know what God, like, what's the next thing? We say we're ready. God, we trust you. We're ready. But I, I can comfort you with this, that it is better in community. It's better when we do it together, when together we say we're ready. And, you, and I can tell you that I'm going to be saying that prayer. God, I'm ready. Use me today. I'm ready for whatever you want to do. Today I say yes. And hopefully your neighbor is doing the same thing. But everyone stand in this place. I want us to respond to Jesus. Two simple responses this morning are this. I want us to respond individually and I want us to respond corporately. As we kick off a school year with this theme, we are ready. I thought it'd be fitting for us, them just to sing this song, but us to, us to have an opportunity for individual response and also an opportunity for corporate response. That together as a church, we say, God, we're ready. Move in us, we're ready. Do what you want, we're ready, we say yes. So if everyone would close their eyes, bow their heads in this place. And just as an individual, firstly, this morning, you need to respond to Jesus. I'm not gonna ask for anybody to raise their hands. I want you to respond to the Lord in your own way this morning, readying yourself in Christ. All the opportunities of the past have been given to you. God has brought you to this place today and you're face to face with Jesus Christ himself, your savior, the Lord of the universe. And you have a decision to find your sufficiency, your everything in him, to be made ready in him today. Maybe for some in this place, you need to confess some excuses. You've been sidelining yourself in the kingdom of God for way too long. You've been disqualifying yourself. Right now, just confess those things to the Lord. 
Excuses are not compatible with the gospel. Holy Spirit, you're so good to gently and tenderly deal with our hearts. And as individuals this morning, we respond to you wholeheartedly. It's scary. But humbly, we place our hands out before us and we say, God, we're ready as individuals today to live ready in you. Do what you want with our lives. Lord, that we would bear fruit in doing good works, that we'd increase in the knowledge of God. Oh, that we would be strengthened with all glorious might for today, that we would be ever giving thanks today for the inheritance for how you've qualified us, Jesus. No more excuses. No more living in the perpetual future. We're saying yes today. Secondly, let's respond as a, as a family this morning. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad you are here. I just boldly want to take a moment as a family to respond together and say that we are ready to Jesus as a church family. It's all across this place. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Lord, this morning, as a church family, we say we are ready. We're like parents that have prepared the nest. We're pregnant with something big, God, and we don't know what it is. Well, all we can say right now is we've prepared, we've, we've put everything together, and now we are ready, Jesus. God, we eliminate all excuses from our vocabulary. We don't have the right location. We are, our building's too small. Our parking lot's too small. We don't have enough resources. God, this morning we're captured by a gospel that's ever increasing, ever moving forward. And we just say, yes, we're ready. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts, embolden us today for all that you're calling us to. No more spectator Christianity as a church. No more sitting on the sidelines. We're moving forward forcefully with passion, with faith, with radical love. We say yes. We are ready, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.